What do you think of when you hear the word kingdom? If you had to like put words to or pictures to the idea that it conjures up in your mind, what would that be? Perhaps it would be a geographical place, a space, like on a map with borders, that's a kingdom. Perhaps what springs to your mind isn't so much the geographical space, but the sphere of influence. Like when a king rules over a country, that's where they have authority. Or we might even use it in our common language, someone's little kingdom where they have control and power. Perhaps actually you don't think of the space or the one person at the top, but you think of the larger group of people who are subject to that other person's authority and rule. To you, the kingdom is the people who are subjects. I want us to keep those pictures in our mind because they're good pictures, they're true pictures, and they'll help us to understand something of what Jesus instructs us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been tiptoeing through the Lord's Prayer, short phrase by short phrase, and we've been looking at it from the point of view of Jesus inviting us to see the world as it truly is, to get rid of all manner of lies that we believe and to live in the world that he has made it to be. Not a world in which God is distant, that God is absent or uninterested, but a world in which God is our Father, our Rescuer, the one who has drawn us near to himself and drawn us near to each other. Not a world in which the most important thing is our own reputation, our own fame, our own glory, because we're not that glorious, but a world in which we desire more than anything for our heavenly father's name to be lifted up, for it to be honoured, for him to be known for who he is and celebrated for who he is. Today we are going to tiptoe just a little bit further as we consider when Jesus instructed us to pray, thy kingdom come. I don't know what you think of life in this world at the moment. During Corona, before Corona, most people, whilst enjoying aspects of life, would be honest enough to admit that life in general around the globe isn't great. It is full of sickness. It is full of death. It is full of sorrow and hurt and pain. Some of it from nature fighting against us, a lot of it our own making, our own cause, because we fight and squabble and hurt one another. One of the things that Jesus majored on in his life and his ministry was the kingdom of God. Of how the kingdom of God, whatever that might be, had come near in him. And what life in that kingdom could be like. And how different that life is compared to the life that we normally live. Now, the kingdom of God genuinely was a massive subject for Jesus. In Mark's gospel, it's the first recorded words that come from Jesus's mouth. Mark chapter 1 verse 15, Jesus says this, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Matthew's gospel, Similarly, early in Jesus's ministry, we read him saying this, 
repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. And in Luke's gospel, maybe more significantly even, Jesus takes the kingdom of God and he uses it to describe his very purpose. This is what he says, chapter 4 verse 43. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus spoke about the kingdom a lot. He said that's what he had come to speak to people about. When he taught, when he told stories, parables, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God was very often one of the main things that he spoke about. But what exactly is it? What exactly did he say it was? Well, first of all, let's think about those ideas that we started off with, those pictures, those images, those concepts that we had. We'll find in the Bible that actually they're all pretty decent descriptions of what the kingdom of God is. It is a geographical place. It's a physical reality. Right from the very beginning, Adam and Eve were in God's kingdom when they were in the garden, when they were in the space that he had put them in. They were actually charged with growing that garden, with increasing the borders of that kingdom. Fast forward to the story of Israel. And Israel is given a literal geographic place, a place to live in, a place to farm, a place to enjoy the kingdom of God. Likewise, they were encouraged to invite people in to join with them in that space. Fast forward to the end of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, and in extremely vivid, in extremely physical terms, we read about the coming together of our world and the kingdom of God, of heaven. So it is a physical place in the Bible. More than that, though, the second idea of it being a sphere of influence, the Bible speaks of the kingdom of God as where in this world God is listened to, God is obeyed, God is honoured and hallowed. Think about those three major plot lines in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They weren't just in the garden, they were in the garden and they heard and responded to God's voice. Israel of old weren't simply in the land, they were in the land to obey God's word, to be his people following his rules. And in the book of Revelation, it isn't just the geographical coming together of heaven and earth, but it's Jesus being obeyed, Jesus being listened to, Jesus having authority over every square inch of creation. So our gut instincts, the ideas, the concepts that quickly come into our mind, when we turn to the Bible, we see we're not far off track. But what's quality about the kingdom of God in the Bible is this, that it's that and more. And probably it's the and more bit that we really need to get our heads around to recognise how it's such good news. How Jesus could describe the entire gospel as the coming of the kingdom of God. Because in the Bible, the kingdom of God isn't just the geographical space. It isn't just the, the, the fact that God is in charge in that space. But it's a description of the quality of life, the essence of life, the cultural norms, the customs, how life is experienced in that space under God's rule. And we can see that, we can 
um, understand that when we think about how people's lives change when those in power change. We can look back through recent history. Um, Russia in the 20th century, when communism developed and people like Stalin took power, the quality of people's lives, how they experienced their lives, changed significantly. You can see it in the Bible when you read of Israel of old, of the kings, from generation to generation as one king replaced another, how that changed, not just the prosperity, but the, the contentment, the way of life, the nature of life in the kingdom. The person at the top affects how life is lived by everyone beneath. And when the Bible speaks about the kingdom of God, it has that in mind too. Not just where life is lived, not just who life is lived beneath, but what that life ends up looking like. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer at the moment, which comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is often viewed as a scary piece of scripture. Scary piece of scripture because in it, Jesus paints a picture of life that is totally foreign to us, totally alien to us. Again and again, he repeats, you have heard it said, but I tell you. It's scary because we think, well, if we want to be part of God's kingdom, if we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing, we need to live like that. Otherwise, he won't have us. Like it's a door to go through in order to be a part of God's kingdom. When we view it like that, we have totally and utterly missed the point. It's actually Jesus describing the kingdom. It's Jesus, if you like, promising what life will be like when we trust in him and when we follow him. When he says, you have heard it said before, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, forgive those who have sinned against you. Jesus isn't saying, this is what you need to do to be a part of my kingdom. He is saying, when you become a part of my kingdom, this is the world that you live in, a world where forgiveness reigns, a world where worries and anxieties are removed. A world in which you can know and be known and love and be loved. It's a promise. It's a window into the kingdom that he has come to bring. Now, as we've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, we've not just been thinking about the true truth that Jesus is inviting us to live in. We've been thinking about the lies that we normally accept, the lies that we normally believe in opposition to that, that normally take its place, the lies we need to remove in order to see how much good news Jesus is coming for us. And I'm going to suggest that there are two main lies that we believe that need to be gotten rid of in order for us to pray the prayer, thy kingdom come, to enjoy a world in which God is in charge and life can be truly different. Here are the two lies. The first lie is this, the lie that we believe is that we are in control, that we are in charge, that there is a kingdom and we are the king, that what we say goes, that what we decide will be enacted. The second lie is this, that the way that we normally respond to life, the way that we normally live life, even the beautiful world we imagine and that we strive towards, that that is all there is, that that is maybe the best way of living life. 
What about that first lie that we're in control? It really is a lie, isn't it? To think that we are in charge of anything, let alone the whole world. We can see that so vividly at the moment in the whole, the whole coronavirus pandemic. And the man that sits on top of the, the ladder in our own nation, Boris Johnson. It's perhaps political to talk about how people in government are handling and dealing with the crisis. But there's no denying that in spite of all the power bestowed on our prime minister, he had no power to stop himself from succumbing to the virus succumbing in such a way that he ended up in intensive care. That's how powerless he was. And even if you aren't being so extreme and you think about putting measures in place, turns out powerless as well to stop those who were really, really, really determined to gather together in public spaces over the Easter weekend and to enjoy the sunny weather. Even the most powerful man in our nation isn't really in control, isn't really in charge. That lie has got to go. The second lie, that the way that we do things, the way that we react, the way that we respond, the way that we experience life is the only way or is the best way. We need to stop. We need to look at life. We need to see and admit that we haven't got it all figured out. When we read passages of the Bible, like the Sermon on the Mount, when we see how Jesus lived that out in his own life, how he was someone who was full of mercy, how he was someone who was meek beyond compare, how he was someone who blessed others and shown kindness to others, how he was someone who forgave others, how he was someone who followed the Father's will even unto death, how he was someone who put other people's interests before his own. We see that the life can be lived differently and it can be lived wonderfully. If you want to know how committed Jesus was to this sort of kingdom living, then all we need to do is to look at the cross where the king finally has arrived. You know those parts of the, the Easter story, Good Friday story, don't you? Where they kind of act out Jesus becoming a king. They put a crown of thorns on him. They mock him and put a robe on him. They hang a sign up by him, calls him a king. They hoist him up higher than everybody else. On the one hand, it's mocking Jesus. But on the other hand, it's the truest thing that those people had ever done. Jesus, in humility, in love, in grace, in mercy, in living out all the sorts of things that he said should be part and would be part of his kingdom, he's crowned king. And it leads to death, but ultimately it leads to Easter Sunday and to life. His, his eternal life and potentially for us, our eternal lives. You see, the world that we live in isn't all it's cracked up to be. The way that we live life in this world isn't all that it's cracked up to be. In fact, there's something better. There's something more wonderful. And it is living in God's kingdom. Now, Jesus instructs us to pray, thy kingdom come. To want that kingdom to come more and more and more. And it's an instruction to pray it and to desire it on lots of different levels. The first and most obvious level is for that kingdom to come in us. 
in our lives, in our heart, for us to be the area in which God's influence, God's authority is felt and experienced. And the life that spins out of that when we live in line, when we live following him to be known. We're to pray it, thy kingdom come, Lord God, take control, be in charge in my life. That's level number one. Level number two is when we think more broadly speaking. Those who have um, lived in God's kingdom have always been challenged, have always been charged with expanding the borders of that kingdom. Adam and Eve to go to the ends of the earth to fill it with God's glory. The Israelites of old to invite others to come and to follow and to worship the one true God. The picture that we get at the end is of the entire cosmos coming under Jesus's authority. And so when Jesus instructs us to pray, thy kingdom come, he's also instructing us to desire, to want the boundaries, the borders of God's kingdom, not just to stop with you or with me or a few of us individuals who make up a particular church somewhere, but to grow and to grow and to grow. To take Jesus, the King, to introduce him to other people, to invite them to live in this glorious new world, to live in this different way, to experience the life that can be lived in God's kingdom. That's the second way. And then the third and final way is this, that ultimately this world needs to come entirely under his influence, entirely under his rule and reign. Like we read in the book of Revelation in the end, when Jesus comes back and the world isn't destroyed, the world is remade, renewed. And every breath that is then breathed in it, every life that is lived in it, is lived in this fullest kingdom of God sense. That life becomes everywhere, not a broken version of life, not a distorted version of life, but the true life that we were made to live. We're to pray, pray, Lord God, come back, Jesus, come back so that the entire cosmos will be under your control. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God the place in which he is obeyed, the space in which he is listened to, the area, uh, the sphere in which he is in control. But more than that, it's the space in which we get to live wonderful, transformed new lives. Now we get to be a part of that kingdom, not by following the rules that we read about in the Bible necessarily, but by following Jesus, the one who exemplified those rules, the one who died because we didn't follow those rules, the one who has risen to life again to show us that life in the kingdom is eternal life. We need to pray that that rule, that reign of God should be increasing in our lives, should be increasing in our world and ultimately would be taking over the entire cosmos. Our Father in heaven, honoured, glorified, lifted up be your name, your kingdom come. Amen.